Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Gen J Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Heffington, and this show is brought to you by your friends at Generation Joshua. As we travel around the country working with young leaders, we meet all sorts of amazing people who are working to change their corner of the world for the better. If you've ever been to one of our iGovern camps, you've probably heard from some of these people. But we thought that it would be awesome if we could sit down for some in-depth conversations and get their stories on the record so that we could share them with the greater Gen J community. This podcast is the culmination of that process, and we think that you're going to find these conversations encouraging and inspiring. So go ahead, pop in your headphones, connect to your Bluetooth speaker, whatever you got to do, and let's get into today's episode. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Gen J Podcast. We are recording this episode live at the Future of America Conference, so thanks to our audience who is watching, and a special thanks to Pat Ware for coming back uh, and doing this interview. I want to tell you, for anybody who missed earlier, or if it's not fresh in your mind, I want to tell you uh, a little bit about Pat, and then we're going to talk. Uh, Pat Ware is the president and CEO of the Ware Development Group Incorporated. She has served in six presidential administrations, the Carter administration, Reagan, H.W. Bush, Clinton, W. Bush, and the administration of President Obama. She has lived and worked in South Korea. She has spoken throughout the U.S., in Africa, in the British House of Lords in London, and at several universities in China. She has received numerous awards for her work in the arts economic and community development, and in the health arena. She and her husband, Dr. Bradley Ware, a family practice physician, live in the greater Washington, D.C. area. Her daughter, Ebony, is a graduate of Hampton University and is an executive in the music recording industry. Pat is one of the most fascinating people I know. Her speech made me cry earlier. I almost had to go change my outfit, and I found a napkin just in time. Um, But, Pat, thanks for being on the show with us today. Oh, it is my pleasure, Daniel. All right. Well, we have, uh, you know, I've heard you speak a few times and we just had an uh, awesome talk from you earlier before lunch. Um, But we're going to spend some time just talking through more of an in-depth, like get to know you, get to hear some more of your stories. And uh, let's just dive right in. All right. The first question I would love to ask you is, where did you grow up and what kind of an environment was it? I grew up in Wilson, North Carolina. Yeah, not... Um, just straight down 95. When I grew up, it was called the tobacco market of the world. Wow. Because the farmers would come to Wilson to sell their tobacco and then be shipped off to Richmond or uh, Winston-Salem to make tobacco products. Wow. But because of that, it was not a really poor little city. Okay. Um, And even black people during that time... We had some money. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was during segregation. I never went to an integrated school until I was in graduate school, actually. Oh, wow. So for me, it was a wonderful time and a wonderful place because we had teachers and community people who cared for us. Uh, in my school, they didn't let you just fall through the cracks. They were mm-hmm. concerned Uh, And in North Carolina, North Carolina had the highest number of historically black colleges and universities Mm -hmm. in the country. So we were very concerned about education, about um, doing well, you know, making and and not just making money, Mm -hmm. but living well, sharing with the, yeah, yeah. uh, the whole lifestyle. I mean, there were some crazy things, believe me, Mm -hmm. but um, they were not as open as they are now. 
but I loved Wilson, North Carolina. I loved the people there. We still go back and visit, and I loved Wilson. It was good for me. That's wonderful. And for my sister and brother. And so you had two siblings, a sister and two. a brother? I'm the baby. You're the baby? <laughs> I'm the baby. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, but it was a great place to grow up. Very cool. What... Um, One of the things that stuck out to me both in your talk earlier and what you just said there is uh, growing up in the time of segregation. And what was that? uh, Like, I, you know, I grew up reading about segregation in Mm -hmm. in history, but I was not alive for it. Mm -hmm. What what would be, you know. Is is there an illustration of what it's like to grow up in that environment that like we can't just kind of envision just kind of looking back and thinking, oh, yes, that must have been very different and very wrong and very, you know, tragic. But, like, what's something What's something where it impacted your childhood in a way that, like, kids today just don't think about that? Well, again, for me personally, yeah. because of the environment I was in, the, the support I had, yeah. I may not have been as traumatized okay. as most black okay. kids, but I remember personally the white-only, colored-only signs yep. over the water fountains, yep. the bathrooms, all of that. And I, you know, there was a part of me that was always hurt by that. There was fear. Mm-hmm. You know, you knew that there were certain things you couldn't do when you were out in public. Yeah. Um, our parents had to be very strict when we were out because if yeah. we did something out there, if we were downtown mm-hmm. someplace, and we insulted a white person yep. in any way, yep. it, even if we accidentally stumbled right. and hit right. that person, the consequences could be deadly. So if our mom said, come and stand right here, we yeah. had to do it right then because she was protecting yep. us. Our father was protecting us. But at the same time, again, I loved the black culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the black church, yeah. <laughs> and I absolutely love my school. And we did a lot of things during that time to support one another. Um, I, I don't know. And, and again, maybe I was just sheltered in mm-hmm. some ways um, because the teachers identified certain students as okay the black ones to show the white people we have gifted and talented okay. students. And okay. it was a lot of pressure, but I yeah. was one of those. Okay. So I had to, um, I, I went to the North Carolina School of the Performing Arts for oh, wow. gifted and talented high school juniors and seniors in the summer between my 10th and 11th grade okay. in, uh, in high school. And I think perhaps integration was just starting. Okay. But I went, I auditioned for it, I won, and I was the first wow. black to go from my entire county. That's incredible. Um, but it, it opened my eyes to the white community in a way I had never seen it before. Okay. Because I didn't interact with white kids except on my granddaddy's farm okay. when some of the kids from the other farms came yep. over to work okay. in, yep. you know, on his farm. Yeah. Um, but we didn't really have that kind of personal interaction over a long-term okay. period because you could enjoy the kids on the farm and you're eating 
food together right. and all that, they would see you the next day downtown and would not speak to you. Yeah. Okay. So I remember those kinds of things, but because of how I had been taught mm -hmm. by my family uh, and my adopted grandparents, mm -hmm. those things didn't bother me as much. Okay. Because uh, I thought it was something wrong with those white people. Yeah, yeah. I really did. Yeah. So they have a big problem because I knew who I was. Okay. And I felt good about me. I'm not saying everyone in my community did. They did right, not. Right, But I did. So. Was other than just, you know, the love of your family and possibly mm -hmm. the grace of God, mm -hmm. Why why do you think that was? Because like is it just how you view the world, like your personality? Because like I imagine, you know, if you talk to anybody about like development of kids and you know mm -hmm. the the influences and the, the mm -hmm. types of tone that can be set and shaped when you're that small, that seems like, you know, it, like like it seems like a surprising result. Well, I think a part of it again is I was so fortunate to have people around me who absolutely loved me like the older babysitters that okay. I had yeah. in their early 70s. Wow. And they ha had a little bed next to their bed where oh. they would put me. And I remember Grandma Alice, mm -hmm. I would call her Grandma Alice, and she would tell me things. Some would frighten me. Like okay. she would say, God has prepared you to help your people, baby. It may cost you your life. Wow. But and I remember her saying how, that. How old were you when she said that? I had to be less than uh, four and a half because wow. she died when I was four and a half years wow. old. But I remember the words. I can see that little room like I'm in it right now. And she would have us listening to Oral Roberts on the radio, yeah. <laughs> and she would just pour that into me. Just pour it into me. I was different than most of the kids yeah. in my environment yeah. because they didn't have that piece. Yeah. And um, and my parents were very similar. My dad was a man who gave from his heart. Okay. He just gave. My father never graduated from high school. Mm -hmm. But when he died in 1997, mm -hmm. since my father died, in uh, Wilson and Wilson County, and around, uh, th uh, they named a street after him. Wow! A small building, a scholarship award, and a humanitarian award that the county commissioners would not give to anyone for the first two years because they didn't meet Paul Stevens standards. Oh my goodness! So that's the kind of father I. He just loved people. He never. He yeah. said, "Honey, if you don't care who gets the credit." You can do so much for the glory of God and the people. That's he had, incredible. Yeah, he had one of the largest Sunday schools in the whole county. You, wow. You had to go if you were in um, one of his other social organizations. Yep. You couldn't be in it unless yeah. you sent your kids to Sunday school. The man, he was amazing. That's so, incredible. And then my wonderful mother who was, her name was Bert, and they used to call her Bad Bert. <laughs> Because she was no joke. She didn't play. She was beautiful, yeah. tough, but yeah. she meant that her kids were going to make it and do well. So I grew up in that kind of environment That's and amazing. high achievers. I don't care where you came yeah. from, what yeah. side of the track. It didn't matter. Yeah. It was who you are personally. And um, That's so, amazing. That, yeah. And we've lost a lot of that mm -hmm. in our community, mm -hmm. I'm sad to say. Yeah. 
that's uh that's that's incredible i um yeah i feel like that's your your grandma alice was on to something when she was talking about what you were what you were destined yeah. to do someday um you're when we read through your bio it talked about how you've been involved in advising in presidential administrations you've traveled the world you've lived in different places um how did that happen and what sparked your interest in that political side of life? That was not my dream okay. <laughs> to do any of that. It okay. wasn't even on the table. Interesting. It was, uh, as a matter of fact, I remember when I went to undergrad school at Hampton University. Is that in Hampton, Virginia? It is. So I grew up in Virginia Beach. So, uh, I, so you're close. Hampton, Virginia Beach, Norfolk. That's you know, right. Yeah, it's yeah. one of the oldest historically black colleges, yeah. and I would say the best. All right. Because I'm from You've heard Hampton, folks. last year. But um, I remember going, and I had a boyfriend mm -hmm. from high school, yeah. and when he went to Duke, I went to Hampton. Oh, wow. And then we were going to get married, okay. and uh, I would be a teacher, and he was going to be a doctor. All right. I mean, we had the thing planned. Yeah. That was it. Okay. Uh-uh. It did not happen. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it just think the movement was there, the civil yes. rights movement. Yes. And, and it did something to my heart. Okay. I was not politically inclined. Uh-huh. I was service inclined. Yeah. I wanted my people to do well. And, you know, and then things just began to happen. Um, and I was married yep. uh, in, in um, college, okay. my senior year, not to... Cool. Not, not to, to not the boyfriend, not to the plan. Right. And he was in the military. He okay. was in ROTC, so we went to Korea. Oh, wow. And that's where my one and only child was born, oh. in South Korea. Oh, wow. And I taught in uh, language institutes there and all. Okay. But it opened a world to me. Well, before that, my junior year at mm -hmm. Hampton, I was sent to Sweden as a student ambassador wow. um, from the U.S. to okay. live with the family, to learn different cultures and wow. all of that, and had an amazing time. But it opened my world and I will tell you one thing that it really did to impact me. As an African-American yep. woman, I never thought others thought I was really beautiful okay. or all of that, okay. you know. Um, when I went to Sweden, uh, we had to go to uh, a camp okay. in, I think it was Rhode Island, to learn the language first. Wow. So y'all can tell us Finska Littegran. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Littegran. That's incredible. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, we were told, uh, in I remember being in the in uh, the class, okay. and there was a white girl there that said to me, "Pat, um, I think you're going to get dates when you get to Sweden, Sweden? Okay. because yeah. it was during the Vietnam War." Okay, and she said there are a lot of black soldiers who are deserting okay. and moving to Sweden because it was a neutral country. So okay. you should get dates interesting and um so you don't have to worry about it well the instructors said uh-huh oh pat will get a date anyway if anyone will have a problem getting a date it will be you Ooh. i didn't believe them and she didn't believe them interesting because i hadn't you know as right. a black woman right. here i got to sweden 
and my Swedish family would not let me go any place alone. Wow. Because they said these men are going to love you. And it's not about sex. Yeah. It's it's about you're you're lovely, yeah. you're this. And if I hadn't experienced that, you could yeah. have never told me that. So I began thinking, what is it then? Yeah. Why are these people treating why are they treating yeah. me like this? And and that began putting in my heart to understand more about relationships between mm-hmm. the races. Yep. About and then when I was uh, after Hampton, mm-hmm. and well, even uh, anyway, I, I went to graduate school at Catholic University. Okay. Yeah. And Catholic University had the large, the oldest touring company, theater touring company oh, in wow. America. Okay. So in 1976, I was there, and the plan was to get, just get a degree so I could teach or do whatever yep. while yep. my husband, who I was married to at that time, mm-hmm. could go to law school, yep. and I could take care of the family. Okay, right. Well, things didn't work out that way, and unfortunately, um, we divorced. Okay, okay. But uh, Catholic University had never had a black person to tour with wow. that theater company. Okay. So there were several people, even from Hollywood, that said, oh, no, Pat has to go on this tour. And I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. But they were very serious about it. They offered me the opportunity wow. to tour across country and around the world. Amazing. To show American life through its theater and song. So did, we did excerpts from hit Broadway musicals okay. Okay. and all of that. It's almost like um, a variety show type thing? Well, kind of. We do a scene okay, from sure. different yeah. uh, theater. Like from a review d- kind yes, of? Yes, like, like a review. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, the only thing that concerned me about that was this was to show American life right. through its theater and song during our bicentennial. Okay. And you have only one black person. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what life were we showing, you right, know? Right, right. But at any rate... Um, there's several reasons that I went. My parents really wanted me to yeah. go as well. They said, you go. And I did that. So, But what it did for me was, uh, because we did cross-country mm-hmm. first, I got to see a part of America I had never seen. Yeah. And I will talk to anyone. And people, I mean, I'd, you know, we'd be standing at the stop, mm-hmm. at the corner for a stoplight. Right. And next thing I know, there's a conversation going. Yeah. I learned so much about America, about That's the incredible. people, about the diversity just during this tour. And then when we went around the world, mm-hmm. oh, my goodness, it was amazing. And um, I was treated like a queen every place I went. I'm the one that got the flowers and the gifts. Yeah. And uh, for the most part, you know, and some of the other girls didn't understand yeah. why you, uh, this black girl was getting all the attention. But oh I the- love Theater it. people uh, in general can be a bit um, dramatic sometimes. Yes, yes, <laughs> I've been told. <laughs> But oh, actually, man. I'm quite an introvert. No one believes that. But <laughs> well, I mean, that might mean you're super good at it because then you can get past that. Yeah. What, so, side side note on all of this, mm-hmm. you talked about how in your I think you said it was between 10th and 11th grade, mm-hmm. you went to the high the high Governor school program school. for the for the, for the arts. Yeah. You're doing this theater stuff. Was what did the arts? You know, and even in your bio. Mm-hmm. 
the art seems to be a large part of your story and at least your passions. Yes. What did that look like? You know, you did theater. Were you always doing theater? Had you done this type of stuff before? What did you do after that? I think somewhere did I saw that you were like in a movie or something yes. like that. Yeah. Can you tell us about this? <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, the way I got involved in the arts, really, uh-huh. was because uh, my dad probably, you know, yeah. he, in Sunday school, um, we had to learn scriptures and yep. whole chapters. And, and, of course, he had to showcase his baby. Uh-huh, so right, he'd say, learn this, and then I'd have to stand yep. in front of everyone yep. and say it. The other side, my mother was a nurse. Okay. And uh, she would take my sister and me to visit her patients, especially mm-hmm. the elderly ones, and recite poems oh, and all beautiful. for them just to do that. Now, my sister didn't last with my sister, okay? okay, okay. But for me, I loved it. That's I just incredible. loved it. And because I really was an introvert mm-hmm. and because I had pain from some things that yeah. had happened to yeah. me, it was a way for me to express myself without yeah. it being me right. who was the vulnerable one. Right. I, I was Dolores. Right. I was someone yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I really loved that. And um, my parents didn't have a lot of money, so they allowed each of us to yeah. do something. At school, you can only have one activity. Okay. And um, my sister was a cheerleader. Okay, neat. And I wanted to be in the band, but we couldn't afford the instrument. Okay, sure. So they said, drama, baby. That's what you're good at. (laughs) (laughs) And that didn't cost money, you know. Parents parents can tell that sort of thing. Yeah. (laughs) So I was in the drama club. I did all of that. And and, uh, it it really gave me, I don't know, you have to go deep in your emotions. Yep, yep. You have to learn... people in order to create that character with believability on the stage. So I was more observant of people. Yeah. And I began to see the person and the heart of the person. And you you partner that with what my grandmama told me Mm -hmm. about babies see people as Jesus sees them. You know, so I began really having a passion just for people, for their pain. But that everyone has a life. So that's how it kind of yeah. started with me. How did that turn into being in a movie? In a movie? Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I have a master's of fine arts okay. in speech and drama. And, and a part of that. Just mention that casually. I just. <laughs> just, just happened to. <laughs> it's happened to. <laughs> so a, a part of that at the end, though, you go through, they provide you with um audition opportunities through an organization called ERDA, Mm -hmm. University Resident Theater Association or something like that, ERDA. Uh And uh, I auditioned for ERDA. As a result, I was offered a number of uh, parts on Broadway, L.A., uh, at universities to work on doctorates and all of that. That's super neat. So... At, again, at the time, this was after my divorce, yep, yep. and I had this beautiful little baby, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to drag her all. I was going to, right. I, I accepted something, but I said, no, uh-huh. I have to keep her safe. Yeah, I want to bring her up in a, in a loving, safe environment, not mm-hmm. drag her around the country or right, the world. Right. So we decided to stay 
in Raleigh. Yeah. That's where we were, where my parents okay. were by then. And uh, so I we stayed there. Um, a lot of people were upset with me that mm -hmm. I didn't take those, you know, they said, oh, right. you could be famous. Yeah. You right. could, And they were actually later told my daughter that. And I said, honey, let me explain something to you. I thank God for the decision I made. I could have been a crazy fool <laughs> out there. Right, right. I said, don't you let that bother you. Yeah. Because this is God. That I mean, yeah, that's that's kind of tough that you try to make a kid feel like bad about that or something. Yeah, that's like that's like yeah. one of the, I mean, you know, yes, it's giving something up, but like that's in a sense that's that's what parents do that's what every time. And absolutely and that's like a that was you valuing your daughter. You yes, know, like that's yeah. right. And I, I know it was God and I I um so what how I got in this movie was I was not going to audition. For any movies or mm -hmm. anything, I was doing commercials, okay. you know, TV commercials yep. and all locally yep. and all. That was fine. That yep. was some income. And I was doing, I, as I worked, yeah. doing other things. But uh, no movies okay. because you have to go out. And so my agent tricked me and sent an audition piece to okay. the, um, to the, the uh, casting yep. agent yep, yep. for Mississippi Burning. Okay. So I get a call from the agent, and they said, we want you in this film. I said, I didn't audition for a film. Yeah. Long story short, they eventually flew me out to wow. Lynette, Alabama. I'll never forget it. It was the strangest thing wow. because my part was this long. Okay. Okay? Okay. Because they said that, that uh, they just wanted me in the film. They just wanted that look that okay. I give. You just had the look. I had the look. Like, right. But at any rate. Um, I went and became very good friends with, um, oh, I forgot his name just that quickly, one of the stars, because yep. I didn't know who he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I asked him to take a picture of me. <laughs> so people were Which looking like you know, the stars like, yeah. down. I was like, I got a picture with you. See, that's like, Defoe. that's a power move right there. You're <laughs> Willem Defoe. Willem Defoe. Are you serious? Uh huh. And his sister and I ultimately became very good friends working in the area of um, family development That's and all of that. Yes. Wow. So that happened, and um, I still get residual checks. Okay, it was about 30 years wow. ago. And it's only $12, but now. <laughs> I'll take $12 a year for something. That would be amazing. But do you know, that film had a tremendous impact on me as okay. well. Because you know it was about uh, the riots in Mississippi mm -hmm, and all mm -hmm. of that. And I remember standing, I remember being on the set. Yep. I wasn't in this scene, mm -hmm. but I remember it was the one where the city was burning, the okay. black was burning. The sheriff, deputy sheriff, walks up to the sheriff and uh -huh. says, Sheriff, they burning down their businesses and all that uh -huh. stuff. Ain't you going to do nothing about it? And the sheriff says, no, saves us the time. Wow. I never, I think the main reason I was in that movie is for that tiny scene mm -hmm. because it helped me to put, put into perspective as well what we as a people yeah. were doing to our own selves okay. yeah. during the violence. Yep. Because in the civil rights movement, yep. we burnt our businesses. Right. 
They right. never got rebuilt right. the same way. We had bustling business districts. Yeah. And also that piece made me want to speak into the lives of my people too, mm -hmm. to say, wait, don't get caught up in this kind of violence and emotion and all. Right. We're to build. We can do that. And like my, my mom used to say, if you, and, the, and the other adults in my segregated community, yep. if you say you can't do nothing because white people so racist, mm -hmm. then you made that white man your God. Wow. If you believe in a real God, act like it. You take the gifts, the talents yeah. that he's given you, and you use them where you planted, and you lead the rest to him. Incredible. And so we grew up with that. And that's not to say we are not to take action sure, around racism yeah. and all of that, yeah. but it's the way we do it and the spirit in which we do it. Yep. I think that segues into a great discussion because you've, you know, you talked a bit about this during the session earlier. Um, and you kind of talked about you were contrasting today's racial tension, today's uh, protests with the stuff that's going back on in the in the era of what we call the civil rights movement and mm -hmm. back in the 60s and such. What is your analysis today as far as what it's important? And you, 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 did, you said some earlier, but anything you'd like to expand upon or recap as to what's important to consider from a principles issue as well as just a, a practical solutions issue mm -hmm. for what we see going on today? Well, uh, what I would say certainly to your students yeah. here and to those of us who say yeah. we love the Lord, we yeah. serve him, we've got to focus on, on what the word of God tells us. Mm -hmm. We are to love one another. Yeah. Um, and there's a way of doing that. And again, most people think that's a sellout. It's right. weak. You're weak. You know? right. It takes so much strength to do that. Yes. Anybody can hate you. And what I try to tell the students, too, is that when you do that, yeah. it's like what we used to say when I was growing up. It's like drinking poison and thinking the other person's going to die. Yeah. When we have the bitterness and the anger and the unforgiveness. Yep. Okay, so it's, it's important for us, first of all, to understand... Um, where this sin, and it's all yep. sin, comes yep. from. And then what do, what do we do about yes. it? Yeah. How do we do that? Yeah. And can I talk to you? Right. You know, and, and what I've found is it's a lack of relationships. Right. We don't talk to each other. We talk at each other. Yes, yes. We don't try to get to know each other right. and to understand where this came from. Yeah. And if if you know, if black kids think, oh, if I were just white, mm -hmm. you know, and I've heard them right. say that right. I could do this, I could do that. And I asked them, I said, do you know how high the suicide rate is among white kids? Yeah. Do you know that if everything was so good right. and so right. lovely, why are they killing themselves? Right. Why are they doing the right. drugs? Right. Why are they do? It's a human issue, mm -hmm. a heart issue. Yeah. Let's get me together. Yeah. First, let's see. And then if we believe that God is all powerful, mm -hmm. he will speak through us. He will use our hands to love and to do for others yeah. in our home, in our community. Let's get that straight yeah. first. And then as we reach out, 
I love that. Um, one of the in your session earlier, somebody uh, popped a question for mm-hmm. who was watching live, and mm-hmm. um, I think it ties in really well. They were saying, "How can how do you have any advice?" for how people who want to have meaningful conversations mm-hmm. on these issues, people who want to be part of the change to something better, how they can bring up what can often be tense or even taboo mm-hmm. subjects in a way that, you know, is not going to be like painful. I mean, maybe there is some painful awkwardness in it. Maybe maybe that, maybe that's unavoidable. But how how can they bring up and have real conversations about issues that are not easy to bring up in a way that's gonna that's gonna be productive and in a way that's gonna be lead to something good versus just making somebody feel you know mm-hmm. painful or awkward or something like that. Yeah. Well, the first thing I would say is develop a relationship mm-hmm. first. Don't try to just like don't don't just start it yeah, there. Yeah. I learned that. Um, when I moved into the inner city community out of choice because mm-hmm. I didn't understand why my people were living this way after having okay. been to nearly 30 countries right. and all of that. You know, why? Because I didn't grow up like right, that right. with the violence. With the, yes. It's gotten worse yes. since yeah. the 60s. Yeah. I didn't know what to do. I was at the same place. How do I get to, how do I understand this? How do I have conversation about this? So what I was led to do was not to have a big forum and, you know, talk to people. I went door to door. Okay. I knocked on the door. Okay. This is Miss Pat. And they all knew me because they had seen me on the commercials. They had seen me on TV doing other things, you know, and all the work I was doing. Uh, in the political arena and that kind yeah. of thing. And um, they knew that I had moved there. Mm-hmm. And they said, Ms. Pat, you must really love us to be over here. Yeah. And I would not recommend just anybody to move into a situation like that because right. you could get killed right. for real. Yeah. So know that it is God because yeah. <laughs> my parents were going to take me to court to get custody of my daughter. She was 12. They said, you're not moving over there. But the more we talked, the more they understood this was a God thing. Wow. But I went door. I I remember the first sister that I said, said, hey, I'm just here just to talk. Uh I just want to get to know my my neighbors in the sea and and for you to talk to me. I'm here to listen. And I'm going to tell you, these people rocked my world. They shared some things with me that I never imagined. I learned much more from them than I ever taught. Interesting. But because we went door to door, and what I would do, the first um, door apartment I went to, and we talked, and I was like, oh, my goodness. I said, can we keep talking? Mm -hmm. Can I come back in two days? Can you have three more sisters here? Mm -hmm. She said, yes, ma'am. And when they rocked my world, I said, can I come to your house Monday, yours Tuesday, yours wow. Wednesday? Can you have three? You have three. You have three. took yeah. us about two months to saturate the entire wow. community. What they didn't know was that I was talking to the brothers, too. Interesting. Separately. Okay. Because I couldn't bring them together because they you won't be that honest. Right. You know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But what, I, what that taught me was developing relationships and allowing people to get to know you as uh-huh. well. 
as you get to know them and to have a spirit of listening yep. first. Yep. And I'm telling you, it changed the entire community. That community within four years when I left mm -hmm. had become a model for the entire country. That's amazing. And people were like, how'd you get those people to change? Uh -huh. Even the black folks yeah. were saying, how'd you get those people to change? Uh -huh. I said, I don't know. I don't know. All I know is I love them. They did an assessment. Yep. They said there were three things that I did that were very different okay. than others who came in to change communities. And I'm not saying that others haven't done right. it beautifully. Yeah. I'm just saying my experience. And they said, number one, they said, Ms. Pat, you didn't come in with some big nonprofit mm -hmm. to make a lot of money off us, to mm -hmm. exploit us, get money to put in your pocket. Fund rate, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. all of that. And then go on TV and say, look what I did for those people. Right. They had gone through that so many times. And because I have directed granting agencies on a citywide level, mm -hmm. a statewide level, and a federal level, okay. I can tell you, I tell people I've signed my name to millions of wasted dollars. Interesting. Because the majority of that money really doesn't get to where it's supposed to go or yeah. what it's supposed to be doing. Yeah. But they said, Ms. Pat, you came in by yourself with your daughter. You could have gotten killed. Uh -huh. You could... You must really love us. Yeah. So they said that was number one. They said number two, you gave us a vision and a dream. Okay. They said you made us believe we could change. We could do it. We didn't have to wait for somebody else. Mm -hmm. This was about us. And they said number three, you didn't let us blame anyone else for our condition. Because what I would tell them is racism is alive and well, honey. But I'm going to tell you what the adults told me in my community, yeah. especially my little mother, little short thing, mm -hmm. I never forget. She said, okay, if you believe that you can't do anything because the white man is yeah. so racist, yeah. she said, then you made that white man your God. Yeah. You're saying that man is bigger yeah. than the real God. And if, again, if you believe in yeah. the real God, act like, like it. it. Yeah. So we learned that. You know, the, yeah. the danger was there. The sin was all of that. Yep. But the word says, I can do all things through Christ who yeah. strengthens me. And that's what we stood on. And they said, Ms. Pat, you taught us how to do it. That's amazing. Um, this, is a, this is a tough question. I don't know if there's a good answer to it. But racism you were saying earlier is part of the human condition whether you call it racism or tribalism or yeah. or elitism or something or like that yes in america has the embodiment or the 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 face that racism puts on today mm -hmm. how is that the same as what you went through in the kind of original chapter of the 60s civil rights movement and how is it different um this one, they, to me, uh, and maybe it's because of who I am mm -hmm. now, I see more of what's behind the scenes okay. than I did before. It yeah. was like before it was all about black people mm -hmm. and, and about uh, getting rid of racism and right. all. But now, having served with six presidents, mm -hmm. been behind the scenes... Yeah. 
My motto is, the more I know, yeah. the more I know I don't know. Right. Okay? <laughs> yes. Because I've been in backdoor meetings, and I know that whatever what I see all the time yeah. out in the media or yeah. hearing people is not the real deal. Okay. Okay? That's, now, I'm not, now, let me take that back. I don't mean that there's not truth out right. there, but I'm saying right. it's not all it's not the full of, picture. It's not the yeah. full yeah, yeah. picture. A lot has been taken out of context, yep. but and I've learned how uh, people are manipulated. Mm -hmm. I have I've seen it up close and personally. Yes, yeah. Uh, I didn't see that. Maybe it's because I was a teenager and okay. young. Right. But um, over the years, I have seen that. This whole issue of race is oftentimes used as a front for mm -hmm. some other policy. Okay, sure. Okay, yeah. for um, whatever it is they are trying to use the oppressed person mm -hmm. um, to do right. to raise up another agenda. Right. And uh, I've seen that here. And it's not... They aren't even as, uh, as subtle mm -hmm. <laughs> as mm -hmm. when I grew up. Yeah. They're out front with it yeah. in many ways. Yeah. And we know because of technology and all right. of that, we can. So this one, I don't know. And, you know, I'm a little concerned that we have history over the last 50 years. Mm -hmm. Why aren't we looking at that? more closely mm -hmm. and we're assigning racism to just one group of people. Mm -hmm. I remember hearing a pastor in Columbus, Ohio back in the eighties. Yes. Yeah. And he said one of the reasons black people don't do better in America is because we don't know the difference between a rattlesnake and a viper. Wow. And he said, at least a rattlesnake gives you a warning. He shakes his tail, opens his mouth, you see the fangs. Right. So you have one of two choices. <laughs> you can run away real fast, right. or you can take an axe and chop his head off. Yeah. So, but a viper slithers. Yeah. He's up on you before you even know he's there. And when yeah. he opens his mouth, guess where the fangs are? Up in the top of his head. Yeah. They don't come down until he latches onto his prey. Yeah. This man said in America, one of the reasons black people did so much better economically, uh -huh. educationally, you know, in the South mm -hmm. than they did in the North, just like I was saying, right. North Carolina in uh -huh. the South had yeah. more HBCUs than any one state. Right, right. Uh, you've, the, Durham, North Carolina at one point had the largest... Uh, black-owned business in the world, North Carolina Mutual Life Insurance oh, wow. Company. When we were growing up and got tired of going around to the back entrance of a hospital, yep. you know what we did? We built our own hospital. And we staffed it with the yep. people we had trained in because we knew the rattlesnake. Mm -hmm. We knew those people weren't going to help us. Right. And I don't mean all those people right. because there were some amazing sure. white people who were right there. Sure. Uh, we would have never had an underground railroad if we didn't have white people sure. along the way sure. to hide the people. We wouldn't yeah. have had a civil war yeah. if there were not white yeah. Christian abolitionists that said no, no. Right. So, but we knew we had to circle the wagons yeah. and take care of ourselves and do it. Right. In the North, he said, 
they didn't have to have legalized seg segregation. Mm -hmm. They just moved so far away from the black community, you right. couldn't get over there. Right. And if you look at the uh, city planning mm -hmm. for highways and streets, to get from the black side to the white side, yeah. you'd have to change buses, trains, whatever, like right. 500 billion times to right. get over there. And even if you got there, you couldn't afford the property. Right. You couldn't afford to live right. there. You couldn't afford really to eat at the restaurants except right. for a few. And right. so they are acceptable, you right. know. So it was so, and what they did, and I literally had several people say to me, and these were very liberal people, mm -hmm. Pat, why are you trying to build, get these black folks to move out the hood and build own homes? Mm -hmm. and all? We built those projects for them. We're taking care of them. We make sure they get that welfare check, mm -hmm. the one-stop health center. They can get the prenatal care, their abortions. We're taking yeah. care of those people, literally. I'm just telling you what wow. impacted yeah. me. I'm not saying yeah. what somebody else told me. Yeah. What I heard. Yeah. The viper. These are the very people. No, we didn't have segregation. Right. Oh, really? Right. Why are my people doing so poorly and it, every, the, what I remember growing up with is the exodus every summer mm -hmm. of black kids being sent down south to stay okay. with the grandmamas, the aunties and all Yeah. for the summer. You know why? Hmm. First of all, it wasn't safe in those hoods Yeah. in, this, in New York City and yeah. all of that. And then to teach them how to work, okay. teach them manners, teach so if it was so great up there, mm -hmm. why did we, they have to, and to keep them safe mm -hmm. right. for the summer. Yeah. So it's all of these kinds of things that um, I, he was saying that we don't know how to interpret. Okay. And yeah. so I, you know, just thinking about yeah. all of that as well. That's, that's incredible. That's a lot to think about. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, a lot of a lot of wisdom there. Um, how did you? You know, we we've talked. You know, I'm I really loved hearing all about your uh, drama background, your theater background, all this. How did you go from Raleigh, North Carolina, working in TV commercials? You know, doing. Uh, you sound like you had another job at the same time. I did. What? How? How did that transition happen from there to being in? in presidential administrations and, and, you know, as much as you're comfortable, what kind of roles did you have in those administrations? Well, in the Carter administration, yeah. I was actually offered the position as civil rights compliance agent for the arts oh, cool. because the work I was doing in North Carolina around yeah. the arts, we created a major organization to preserve the cultural and artistic heritage of African-Americans, and That's it became awesome. a model. It was That's in magazines, awesome. all of that. Wow. So they wanted me to come to D.C. to okay. do it. And I said, I, I'll, I'll work with you, but I can't move. Okay. And they said, fine, you just be a consultant. We'll mm -hmm. fly you all over. Right. You. Right. So I was working with that organization in North Carolina and, um, you know, with the Department of Cultural Resources. Okay and uh, the State Arts Council. Yeah. I was doing all that, but at the same time working for the CARD administration mm -hmm. to work with museums and to, you know, yeah. all of that. Okay. Yeah. Reagan administration asked me to stay and do the same thing, and then okay. they added some other stuff, okay. too. And, and because of 
um, what I was learning and sure. seeing. I did anyway. During the Reagan administration is when I moved into the hood. Okay. Okay. So when the George H.W. administration came along, yep. they said, it, because one of the things we, we did was um, help people start businesses. Mm-hmm. We had the first Community Reinvestment Act hearing in the South in that community. Wow. CRA hearing in okay. that community. And we were reducing teen pregnancy and all of that. So the George H.W. Bush said, Pat, please come up here and do this nationally. Well, but the position they offered me was um, director of the Office of Adolescent Pregnancy Programs at HHS, Health and Human Services. And I didn't really want to go. But the people in the community forced me to go. They said, Ms. Pat, you go up there and you tell them what we want, da 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 mm-hmm. And I will say this, that um, I had been mentored by Shirley Chisholm as well. Okay. Because she was in the arts, too. She ran the, she was chairman of the arts committee or something okay. like that on the yep. Hill. And she encouraged me. She said, you go. Anyway, that's a long story. Okay. I don't always talk about okay. it. But she, I understood exactly what she was saying. She said, black people... We're the only people group who do not practice a two-party system in this country. Okay, and then she sure. said, every time there's a decision to be made, there should be some black feet under the table where the decision is being, yeah. and it better be people who love the people. Mm-hmm. We're not just there for the power, the money. Right. And she said, so you love the people. You get yourself up here when you can't. <laughs> so anyway, so I went up there and I did that, but then I began seeing what HIV AIDS was doing, mm-hmm. it was the early days yep. uh, in the black community. Yep. People were thinking it was just a gay disease. Right. So I saw the women and the children who were yeah. being infected. So I went to Congress and, and worked with them to do a hearing on HIV AIDS in the African-American community. Yeah. Got very involved in that. So when the, the Bush, that was during the Bush administration, when mm-hmm. it was over, the Clinton, admin, no, that was... Yeah, doing the first Bush. HW. Uh huh. Yeah. And then it was Clinton. Yep. So they asked me to serve on a commission on HIV AIDS in women. Okay. And I did that. Yeah. I had also taken a position with an organization called Americans for Sound AIDS Policy. Okay. Because yeah. I was very passionate and I began doing a lot of work in Africa around that okay. as well. Amazing. So as a result of that, when the George W. came mm-hmm. along, he said, wait, you got to come back in the administration. And yeah. they asked me to direct the Presidential Advisory Council on HIV AIDS, wow. which I did. And that's how we got PEPFAR. You know, I was uh-huh. one of the crafters yeah. Yeah. of PEPFAR to help. Anyway, and then, uh, and then the Obama administration asked me to serve on a White House Committee on Africa. Wow. And I'm just working, you know, on the periphery, if you will, in the Trump administration to do certain things, to make it happen. Sure. And people say, how'd you go from Democrat to Republican? I said, only God knows. I don't know. But he said, where I call you, you go. Amazing. So that the people, my my passion is not for the politics, Mm -hmm. it's for the people. How do we help our people? That's, I... And I mean all people. Yeah, too. yeah. Okay. I think that that's like, if we if we could snap our fingers and make everybody involved in politics that <laughs> their motivation, I think our country would be in a, in a much better place today. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Man, we just have a few more minutes. This okay. has been incredible. I could spend three hours talking with you. Um, let me see. What is the coronavirus lockdown looks like for you? Like, like has this changed? Uh, for us, it, it canceled our whole spring of events. It canceled mm-hmm. our in-person camps. We pivoted to do this virtual conference. With your work, has it just equaled less in-person speaking events? Or what, what does that look like for you? You know, someone, when they tell me, oh, I'm so bored uh-huh. because of, I'm home, I'm on lockdown. I uh-huh. say, how do you spell that word? Bored? <laughs> <laughs> So my husband is an amazing family practice physician. So he's working on on the front lines. He's on the front lines, but he's always been a doctor who uh, uh, he won't just give you prescription medication just to do it. He keeps you healthy. So he is our immune systems Mm -hmm. are built, you know, and I mean, we're very cautious. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Yeah. But um, so I but I've been able to be out there a little more to help the people. We have an amazing way of delivering food. Um, We're doing so many things around the virus and to make sure that um, if we have another wave, especially the African-American community, knows what to do because we were disproportionately impacted. Mm -hmm. A lot of that was because of our health, Mm -hmm. not just because we didn't have insurance. Right. But we have, you know, there are many food deserts Mm -hmm. where there's no grocery store. We don't get good, healthy food. Um, And so we have a problem with obesity Mm -hmm. and all of this. So we're looking at those things uh, that it's... It you know we're not talking about you need to lose weight because you're not cute, right? But because but of the your, health, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so my husband has taught us how to do so many things that doesn't don't cost a lot of right. money, right? To build the immune system. So I do a lot of that as well. And awesome. We're working on a number of projects all over. That's business, incredible. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, in just our last couple minutes here, okay. Uh, what? Well, I have two questions, and you can pick mm-hmm. which one you want to answer, or if we have time, you can okay. answer both. First one is, um, what stories or figures in history inspire you most? And the other one is, what is next for you and your team or who you're working with, and how can people, how can our audience keep up with you? Okay, real quick. Okay. Jesus inspires me most. Amazing. Okay. okay. Can I do it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> I am, Good answer. Uh, Oh, I just saw uh, Harriet Tubman's movie. Oh, I was yeah. So she inspires me. Yeah. I mean, there's so many good people. Mm-hmm. I just, and it's not, anyway, and my mommy and my daddy. Amazing. Okay. Amazing. <laughs> okay. And my granddaughter. Okay. I didn't say that. My granddaughter, Layla Simone Grimes, was was treated really poor, poorly in school. She goes okay. to a predominantly white school. All she right. was bullied. All of that, but instead of that little girl getting angry and mm-hmm. want to burn down and all, she started an anti-bullying organization. Wow. And one of the most amazing models of a project, she said, Grandma, the reason people don't, adults don't get along with each other is because they don't understand each other. And the reason kids bully and don't get along with each other is because they don't understand each other and they have poor role models. And this young lady put together... It was so good. She called wow. and said, Grandma, can you, I need a meet. She's eight years old. Uh-huh. 
I need eight. a meeting with the mayor of my city so oh I can make goodness. long story short because we don't have person. much time. Yeah. Which we set up that meeting. I didn't know him, but That's I incredible. woke up in the middle of the night and sent him an email, and he said, "Can you have Layla in here on Wednesday at wow. three o'clock?" And she rocked it so that he put her picture on the in the paper, wow. sitting at his desk with him standing up behind yeah. her. Yeah. Instead of anger, she said, what can I do as an eight-year-old? That's incredible. Now, that's another whole story, but wow. that's what I want the students here Amazing. to do. What can I do? Well, that's, and that's just incredible hearing your, we've spent all this time talking about your story and the work and the impact you've had and how your eight-year-old granddaughter is carrying on that yeah. torch. And that actually gives me a, yeah. a really good feeling that we're going to have your heart and your spirit for hopefully around forever so i do i've got another one too zoe she is wonderful as well okay all right zoe and layla amazing (laughs) okay well hey pat thank you so much for taking the time um everybody watching um you guys uh is there is there do you have do you have like a website or do you have like a social media or anything are you kind of no because i have enough work i don't need anyone to google my company and ask me to do something else but but you can come you know i am on linkedin and that kind of thing and yes i I don't respond that well i'm just well but i would love this will be on the podcast. You guys okay. keep up with the podcast. We'll we'll keep you up with Pat. Come to iGovern, all that kind of stuff, and we'll we'll uh, we'll be sure to have you back soon. Thank you. Thank you, Pat. Thank you. Hey, friends! If you enjoyed today's episode of the Gen J Podcast, go ahead and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, most of the other major podcast sites and apps. Uh, if you really liked the show, go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and a review, uh, hopefully a good review to help other people find it. Uh, this is really helpful when we're starting out with a new show to help people connect with the podcast who are already listening to similar podcasts. We would love to stay in touch with you, so shoot us an email at info at or follow us at Generation Joshua on Instagram and Facebook. We will be back soon with another episode.